You can turn to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 22. Uh, the sermon today, the, the topic is, is very simple. The, the narrative in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 22 is really simple. Paul, uh, goes to, Paul goes to Corinth, and then he leaves and ends up back in Antioch when our chapter ends. But wh what, is, what can we learn from this chapter that'll help us be better Christians, that'll help us to love the Lord more, that'll give us... Um, that will give us the, the, the insight and the guidance that we need. What is, what is God doing with this passage that he wants us to learn? This is, uh, this is what I want to suggest. I think this is a beautiful passage that teaches us how to persevere, that shows us people persevering in all sorts of very, very difficult situations. We're going to meet a cast of characters, some of whom are just mentioned here and are never mentioned again, or if they are mentioned again, they're just mentioned almost in passing, and there's so little detail about these people. But what I want us to see from this passage is Paul shows us, Luke shows us, a cast of characters who, despite many, many obstacles in their way persevere in their trust and reliance on the Lord, even through extraordinarily difficult times. If you are going through a difficult time, if you're struggling, if, you're, if, you're tend, if you tend to just be tired of it all, and you don't want to continue struggling along in your Christian faith, or you're tempted to just begin to coast on autopilot, this is a passage that I believe God wants to use to warm our hearts, to see how his people persevere through very, very difficult trials and situations. And that's what I believe this passage has for us in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 22. So we'll pray, and then we'll take a look at this passage. Dear Lord, you promised us in your word that if we belong to you, we have the helper and comforter, the Holy Spirit, to guide us to all truth. And so we ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds this morning so that as we hear from you through your word, you'd lead us into your truth and teach us your will. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, your eternal Son, and our King. Amen. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 22. Paul is going to leave Athens going to leave Athens and go to Corinth. Reads, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius. And Corinth is Paul. We don't know which way Paul went. He either went overland this way, or he took a ship from Athens and went across, went across, the, went across the water. It's not too far away. So he goes down the road to Corinth. He meets a guy named Aquila. He had Aquila. He'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And this is a shot of the harbor in modern-day Corinth. So this is what Paul would have seen roughly as he arrived there in Corinth. Meets Aquila, meets Priscilla. Paul visited with them because they practiced the same trade. He stayed and worked with them, and they all worked with leather. These two people are very, very interesting people, Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla is mentioned first most of the time when Paul uses their names. A few times the husband comes first, but most of the time the wife comes first. Why are they in Corinth? Why does he find them here? He finds them here because they had to leave Rome because the emperor had attempted to, to banish all the Jews from Rome. The emperor Claudius is a notorious, was a notorious 
fool. He was renowned for being not very intelligent. We have from Roman writers, we have we have notes that, that, that are memorialized from his mother, where his mother described him as, her, his mother described him as, as a monster who was only half completed and half finished, like half formed. And there's letters between him and his entire family where they're, they're talking amongst each other about what are they supposed to do with him when he grows up? What job can they shunt him off into, off in the corner somewhere so he doesn't ever become a, a guy who's in a position of any real responsibility? Have you ever known people like that? Who, it doesn't mean that they're awful people. It just, well, in Claudius's case, maybe. But I mean, it just means that you don't ever want this person in charge of anything that means anything because bad things will happen. So you're like, you can, we're gonna, you can go do that. You, know, you can do that job, and please don't ever come over here. And the worst fear would be that, um, the worst fear would be that this person actually were in charge of something. Well, in, in Claudius's case, that's, that, that's actually uh, what happened. And Claudius, um, Claudius expelled Jews, the Jews from Rome because there's also a letter that's preserved uh, which talks about how Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome because there was all sorts of religious commotion going on at the instigation of a guy named Crestus, who we, now, who we suspect is probably Christ, and they just didn't know how to, they didn't know anything about him, they just heard about him second or third hand. And so there's, there's all these, there's Jewish Christians in Rome who are spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus and his message, instigating contention and anger and, and infighting among the Jewish community. And because it had gotten so bad, Claudius expelled Jewish people from Rome. And so there's this mass exodus of Jewish people who are forced to leave their homes, leave their possessions, maybe take their cat and dog, who can't take all of their stuff and are forced to just leave because the emperor has ordered them to get out. And they scatter to the wind, and two of those people are Aquila and Priscilla, who find their way to Corinth. They're extraordinary people. Now, this is a little, this is, these are far away. Rome is here. Corinth is here. So it's a bit of a distance to travel today, and it's even more of a distance to travel then. These, this couple is an extraordinary couple. If you've read the New Testament, you've seen them before. They're a Jewish or mixed couple, couple living in Rome. We don't, know, we don't know if they're both Jewish or not, but they're living in Rome, and they're part of that church in Rome. And they're forced to flee to Corinth, likely as refugees of some sort, not abandoning their home, most of their possessions, only able to carry whatever they can carry in whatever way they can. And both, not just the husband, but both the husband and the wife, Aquila and Priscilla, are pictured as these reliable partners with Paul in his ministry for the gospel. In Corinth, they, they take up shop together. He joins them, and they let, him, they let him work in their shop, and they form sort of a trio of, of, of leather Christians who, who work with leather and make tents and other goods from, from animal skins. At the end of our section today, we're going to see them leave Corinth with Paul. They left behind their shop, they left behind everything, and left Corinth. They're going to go with Paul to Ephesus, where Paul leaves them in Ephesus to do what? He's going to leave them in Ephesus to spearhead the church in Ephesus as a husband and wife team. And they're going to be both teachers and leaders in the Christian community there. And then later, 
Next week, when we get to the tail end of Acts chapter 18, we're going to see a guy named Apollos come on the scene, who is confused and has part of the gospel right, but is also confused about other stuff. And it's Priscilla and Aquila who bring him into their circle and explain the faith to him more perfectly, not just the husband, but the husband and the wife as a team, as a leadership team of this church that Paul leaves them at to form in Ephesus. And then when Apollo goes from Ephesus to go back to Corinth, where Aquila and Priscilla came from, he goes with a letter of recommendation. Whose recommendation would bear weight with the church in Corinth that this guy named Apollo is someone they should listen to and can learn from? Probably Priscilla and Aquila, who left Corinth and were part of the church there, and their letter of recommendation is going to carry a lot of weight. Later, in, first, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing the book of 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, and he passes along a greeting to the folks in Corinth from Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul says lead the church that meets together at their home in Ephesus. And at some point in the book of Romans, Paul's writing to the Romans, Paul passes along a greeting to Aquila and Priscilla, who at some point have left Ephesus and have gone back to Rome at some point in the distant future at the end of the book of Romans. He, he calls them his co-workers in the gospel, and he, he asks the church to say hello to them because he misses them. This phrase, co-workers in the gospel, is a term that Paul only uses for people who preach the gospel, who lead house churches, who served in prison with him and were, were persecuted, or who led Christian communities while he was away. And we, at the very, very end, we see them in Ephesus. So at some point, they went back to Ephesus as Paul wrote the last letter of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Paul is writing, is in prison, and he writes a letter to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he asks Timothy to say hello to them for him. The reason why I mention them is because we're going to be looking at several people who I think we can learn from. And these people, Willa, Priscilla, they're bouncing all over the Mediterranean, starting in Rome, kicked out of Rome and expelled with nothing. They find their way all the way to Corinth and set up shop, starting an entire new life for themselves. We breeze through these things because they're familiar to us or we don't think about them. But what would you do if you had to leave your home immediately with, with only what you could carry? Think of what you would be feeling. Think of what you would be going through. Think of the, the emotional obstacles you would have to totally reboot your life in a completely new place with, with almost nothing. And think about how you would feel and think about the bitterness you might have. Expelled from Rome, they go to Corinth, they follow, then they leave Corinth and whatever business they'd establish there, whatever connections, whatever community, the Christian community that we'll read about in a moment, they'd established there. They followed Paul and left there and went to Ephesus. And then at some point they left Ephesus and went back to Rome, likely after Claudius died. And then at the very end of the New Testament, the last we hear, they're back in Ephesus again. These people are bouncing all over the place. And think about what they lost. Think about what they gave up. Think about what they went through. What would you, what would your... What would you be like if that's what you had to do? Just simply to leave your home and to travel hundreds of miles away to an unfamiliar city and start over again. That's who Paul meets when he gets to Corinth. Every Sabbath, our passage goes on, every Sabbath he interacted with people in the synagogue trying to convince both Jews and Greeks 
Once Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself fully to the word, testifying to the, to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This is how Paul, this is how you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Not necessarily just knocking on someone's door and giving them a script and asking them to pray a prayer, but by speaking to people, having conversations with people, trying to convince them, reasoning with people from the scripture. This is what scripture says. Tell me where you're coming from. This is what God says about having conversations with people. Paul is spending, spending tons of time in the synagogue trying to convince both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. This is what evangelism is. It's not a cold call sales presentation. It's talking to people who God has put in your path or making opportunities, depending on how bold you are, to talk to people who God might put in your path. And Paul is devoting himself fully to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. There is someone who's going to come and to fix this world. He's spoken about in the scriptures. Jesus is the guy. When they opposed and slandered him, he shook the dust from his clothes in protest and said to them, you are responsible for your own fates. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. As he tries to reason with the folks in the synagogue, he seems to just, he becomes exasperated when he's faced with so much resistance. And he says, essentially, I'm going to go talk to other people. I've spoken to you all I can. You don't care about what I have to say. And I'm going to go speak to other people who might actually want to listen. And he does this in a really in a really dramatic sort of way. He doesn't go quietly. He's really frustrated. You can imagine how frustrated you'd have to be to lose your, I don't know if you could say lose your temper, but just to not care enough to say something like that, saying, that's it, it's done. I'm done. We're all done here. I'm not coming back. You're responsible for your own fates. And then we meet the second guy or the third person. He goes, doesn't go far. He goes next door. He's going to hold meetings still and invite people to come and talk about the gospel, but he's not going to go to the synagogue. He's just going to go next door to the synagogue, which is definitely something that's not going to make the synagogue leaders happy, that he just goes next door. He can't even go into the next block or meet in someone's house far away. He goes next door. So when you show up for worship every, uh, every Sabbath and you go into the synagogue to worship, you're just glaring at the, at the, at the you're glaring next door as people just keep pouring into this uh, to this believer's home right near the synagogue. He left the synagogue, the scripture says, and went next door to the home of Tedious Justice, a Gentile God worshiper. Where do you think he came from? Where do you think this guy came from? He's a Gentile who'd been with the Jewish people, embraced the faith of the one true God, but he hears Paul talking about how Jesus is the Messiah who is promised and is the fulfillment of everything they talked about. And then he leaves the synagogue and goes, decides to throw in with Paul in his message of fulfillment and starts and even volunteers his home for this meeting. Can you imagine what this, can you imagine what this guy has to, has to deal with and what he's gone through? He's already left, he's already made himself an outcast because he's left, his, he's left the, the Gentile community. The un, he's left the normal community. He's joined, at least halfway, joined the, the Jewish synagogue. And then he leaves the Jewish synagogue behind and all the people who've taught him everything. All the people who've taught him 
who God is, all the people who've taught him about the Messiah that's coming, all of the people who taught him what it means to live a, a faithful, believing life, when Paul comes and tries to explain that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they're waiting for, and they say no, and they make it clear they don't want him there, and he leaves this man, who we never meet again. We have no idea what happened to him. This man is faithful enough and is open to the truth enough to walk out of the synagogue and all the people who poured all that time and energy into what they believe is helping him, into walking away and following the truth where he sees it leading him and letting Paul use his own home as a new, as the location and meeting place of this new church in Corinth, this new gathering of believers. We can sometimes just breeze right through, right past these people and not realize what what they had, how dedicated they had to be and how they, how they followed the truth when it presented itself to them, even when it was very, very inconvenient. And the next person we meet, a man named Crispus, is even more amazing. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household came to believe in the Lord. Many Corinthians believed and were baptized after listening to Paul. The, the guy who was in charge of the entire synagogue, leaves the synagogue to follow Jesus and to follow Paul, who's following Jesus. Can you imagine what this guy gave up to follow after the truth? He's the leader of the entire synagogue. He's the religious educator and instructor. He's the one who has the answers. He's the one who sets the moral tone for the Jewish community. And this is the guy who has education and training and status and the, the, the stature in the community. And it's this guy who, when he hears the truth of the gospel and has to choose between everything that I've been taught and think I know versus what this guy is telling me from the scriptures, am I going to choose safety in what I was just taught my entire life, which I believe is, have believed is true until now, or am I going to follow truth, which can't be denied from scripture? He's showing me the scriptures week after week, and I can't, I can't explain why he's wrong. So do I just stick with tradition and stay safe, or do I follow, follow the truth and follow God by going with this, throwing in with this man and the message that he has? And if you think of everything he has to give up, everything he has to give up, that he has to lose, how many of us would be willing, because it's very easy to be a Christian in America. It's really, really easy. If it would cost us our job, our livelihood, our friends, our family, our status in a community full of people who respect us, the ease that, a good that comes with a good position, if we had to give all that up to follow Jesus, to know truth, to know peace. Would we be willing to do it, or would we just stay because it's safer? That's why it's worth it to pause for a minute or two and think about what these people went through. Because they're not just names on a page. They're real people who we barely ever hear from again, but they did incredible things. Incredible things. Many Corinthians believed and were baptized after listening to Paul goes to the synagogue, doesn't work there, starts meeting next door, and a new community is forming. The, book, the books of the letters of First and Second Corinthians are to this group of people. This is not a megachurch with a malfunctioning sound system 
and a clicker that keeps going missing. This is a group, a small group of people meeting in someone's home. We picture a church, we think of a church with 30 people must be really tiny. Maybe there's something wrong with these people. And we think a bigger church must be successful. These are small churches, small groups of ordinary people who come together to know and to love God. And this is how this church is formed. I'm going to skip over verses 9 to 11 and go to verse 12. Because Paul acted the way he did and is so so frustrated with his reception and has such a dramatic exit and then pours salt on the wound by not, you know, slinking away into a corner, but just starting to hold meetings next door and taking the synagogue leader with him. You know this can't be taken lying down. So the Jewish community is going to get very upset with Paul. And they're going to try to do something to stop him. Now, when Gallio was the governor of the province of Achaia, the Jews united in their opposition against Paul and brought him before the court. And this is quite literally where they brought him. This is the, 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 public, the, public, uh, the public square in Corinth with the, the judgment seat here. It's a raised platform where the official could sit and the Roman, the Roman regional governor could sit and hear complaints. So quite literally, when you read in your, in your Bible, they brought him before the court, they literally brought him here, like this exact, this exact place. And what do they say? What's their problem? He's a Roman. Romans don't care about Jewish, about, Romans don't care about religious law from, from the Jews or from us. It's like the state of Washington. The state of Washington doesn't care about any, any, any dispute that, that, that happens between Christians. If I wanted to go and, and if I wanted to go and file a, a file some sort of civil suit against the Presbyterian Church across the street because they do baptisms incorrectly and they don't and they have a wrong understanding of church membership, they'd laugh at me. Like what's what's that have to do with me? It's got nothing to do with the state of Washington. Go away. And that's going to be the Roman governor's response too. They come to him and they say, "This man is persuading others to worship God unlawfully." That's what, that's what they come at him with. Just as, so they, they make their presentation, which and that's the sum of it. And just as Paul is about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, exactly what the state of Washington would say to me if I tried to sue the Presbyterians. If there had been some sort of injury or, or criminal behavior, I would have reason to accept your complaint. However, since these are squabbles about a message and names and about your own law, deal with them yourselves. I have no desire to sit in judgment over such things. This is actually a really dangerous point. If they can take him, because before in Thessalonica, they took him to like these local city officials, right? The city council. But now they take him to a Roman regional governor. And if the Roman regional governor, for some bizarre reason, decides that Paul needs to be silenced and tells him not to speak this way anymore because it's inciting disturbances, all of the cities all over Macedonia are going to follow suit because he's the regional governor. It's like if the state passes a law it, or, or makes a decision, it affects the whole state, which is bigger than Olympia or Tumwater or Lacey. It's the whole state. So you're kind of, they're really going big here by trying to get this Roman official to, to, make, the, to make a determination. And he says, no, he doesn't care. This has nothing to do with me. This is a religious dispute. You guys figure it out. It's got nothing to do with me or my job. So he expelled them from the court, and this is his view. This is the view from that raised platform, and this is where 
This is where they would be standing before him. And look at what happens. He expelled them from the court, but everyone seized Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, the new synagogue leader, since the other guy has defected and has gone with Paul, and gave him a beating in the presence of the governor. None of this mattered to Gallio. This there's almost a mob action that results. There's such this seething frustration with Paul. He's led their leader away to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And he's leading other people away. And they're filled with, beside themselves with rage. And they bring this desperate Hail Mary civil, civil matter to the Roman regional governor. He doesn't care. And so in a fit of rage, they seize their new synagogue leader and start beating him in public. These are people who've totally lost all control of themselves. And the entire situation's gone crazy. But because of this, because the Roman, the regional governor doesn't care, Paul's free to continue to go anywhere he wants around Macedonia, spreading the gospel. After Paul stayed in Corinth for some time, he said goodbye to the, to the brothers and sisters. At the Corinthian seaport of uh, Sincre, he had his head shaved since he'd made a solemn promise then, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, the woman is named first, which is unusual for most literature of this day, which means she's very important to him. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, he sailed away to Syria. And the last four verses don't need to detain us. They go from, they go from Corinth, stop in Ephesus. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to start this new community that he plans to have them build there. He clearly trusts them and sees them as very trustworthy and reliable. So he bring, they go with him. He leaves them there. He preaches a little bit in the synagogue. They want to hear more. He says, I have to go. I'll be back, God willing. He leaves. He leaves those two, Priscilla and Aquila, there. He lands in Caesarea, stops in Jerusalem, heads back to Antioch, where he started from, and there is where our tale ends for the day. What does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with anything that happens today? I want to go back to verses 9 to 11. As Paul is speaking the truth, trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Messiah, and no one seemed, few people seem to care, and he faces official opposition from the synagogue, and he, he walks away in frustration and says, I'm done, it's over. Verses 9 to 11, one night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, continue speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you, and no one who attacks you will harm you, for I have many people in this city. So he stayed there for 18 months, teaching God's word among them. God strengthened Paul so he could soldier on and continue doing what he had led him to do. And then as soon as that happens, he's dragged off to court. So God knew that he needed this encouragement. And what Paul's danger was not that he'd walk away from God and say, don't believe in God anymore, but that he'd become so tired and so worn down and so tired of it all that he'll just stop. He'll stop trying to be outwardly faithful and just turn inward and become a spiritual hermit. Maybe you'll still see people, maybe you'll still interact with people, but you'll stop, you'll stop trying to be a faithful Christian to the world and you'll just, everything will just turn inward, and you'll become solitary, and your faith will be bottled up, stuffed into a Tupperware container, and shoved in the fridge, and the door will be shut. 
and it won't be anything that really impacts anything in your life. Just to stop trying because it sucks so much. That's why God told him that. Don't be afraid. It means he was afraid. Continue speaking. It means he was tempted to say, what's the point of continuing on? No one cares. No one cares. Why should I try? It'll just be me and God. And we'll all just get together with other believers. We'll sit in our building and we'll just worship God together and we'll become, we'll we'll do the fortress mindset where we'll just wall ourselves off from everybody and we'll just worship God and forget about that because I don't care anyway. I don't care. What's the point? God says, continue speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. What God tells Paul is the same thing that God wants to tell us in our own contexts if you are tired of trying to be a faithful Christian. If you're tired of fighting to be faithful when it doesn't seem to matter and no one seems to care. That's what this passage shows us. It shows us a whole cast of people who are going through their own problems and have their own very difficult decisions to make who we never hear from again for the most part. And we see them choosing to not turn inward and become turtle Christians where we just tuck into our shells and stay silent and hide somewhere. But they choose to do the opposite and to stay faithful. Even though no one knows who they are, no one knows who Crispus is. What happened to the guy? I have no idea. No one knows. Sosthenes, the new synagogue leader who was beaten in the marketplace when Gallio said, I don't, this has nothing to do with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul asks, Paul is writing the letter. The letter also comes from a guy named Sosthenes. And he sends his greeting to the people in Corinth. Why? Probably because the guy Sosthenes, who succeeded a guy who left to follow Jesus and was then beaten for his trouble, also came to faith later as well. What happened to him? I have no idea. So many of these people, the guy whose house they, they met, whose house where they met, Titius Justice, what happened to him? I have no idea what happened to him. But I do know that in this passage, we see ordinary people faced with very difficult challenges, and they choose to soldier on and stay faithful to the Lord when they could have chosen another way. And every, one of, every single one of us, if you belong to Jesus, we have a choice to make every day. We want to continue to try to be, try our best, which isn't ever perfect, but to try our best to be Christians who shine Jesus' light into the world and the places we work, the places we go, the people who God has put us around. Or should we just give up and become turtle Christians, just tuck into our shells and turn inward? And God is telling Paul to not do that. Because Paul is tempted to do it too. It's the tiredness more than an outright, I don't believe in God anymore, that is the danger that these people teach us about. In Psalm 119, verses 81 to 84, in a piece of verse 86, we read the psalmist say this, which seems to capture this tiredness pretty well. He's talking to God and he says, My whole being yearns for your saving help. I wait for your promise. My eyes are worn out looking for your word. When will you comfort me, I ask? Because I've become like a bottle dried up by smoke. Or your translation might have a wineskin in the smoke. 
meaning it's like you're being slow roasted. Picture a piece of leather or a piece of something hanging, not in the fire, but, but above a fire for enough time that it becomes starts shriveling, drying up, become blackened, and it's like being roasted in a crock pot. That's what the psalmist says he feels like as he complains to God. Not in an angry way, but in a pleading way because he's tired. My eyes are worn out waiting for your word, for your promises. And he says, when will you comfort me? And he says, I've become like a bottle dried up by smoke, scorched, blackened, good for nothing, or a wineskin shriveled up and blackened by smoke, though I haven't forgotten your statutes. How much more time does your servant have? How much more time do I have to deal with this? How much more time do I have left? Help me, he asks. This tiredness is a desire or a feeling of, I should just, you know, I should just walk away, I should stop trying. Go on autopilot, maybe? To withdraw from, to, not, to stop pushing your faith forward and your own, your own faith and your own relationship with God, to stop pushing forward and just withdraw and be, have a fortress mentality. There are people in the New Testament who chose this path. Demas is spoken of glowingly by Paul in at least two places. But in the last letter of his life, this is what he has to say about Demas. He says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. Demas has fallen in love with the present world and has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Why? Now we can sit there and say, Because Demas wasn't a believer. Maybe he was tired. And maybe he was just done with all the hardship and he just wanted a quiet life, and he left. He turned inward. He became a turtle Christian. You don't know he's not a believer. You just know that at a certain point, he'd had enough, and he walked out. Jesus spoke about this phenomenon in Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 4, when he gives this parable of the four different kinds of seeds, and it's the third one that's so close to bearing fruit that's the, most, that's the saddest. And that describes... What happened to Demas? That describes what might happen to any one of us if we grow tired and decide to tuck in and turn inward. Jesus said, others are like the seed scattered among the thorny plants. These are the ones who've heard the word, but the worries of this life, the false appeal of wealth, the desire for more things, whatever it is, it could be anything, other stuff breaks in and chokes the word and it bears no fruit like a plant that's trying to grow you see it growing it's starting to grow and then something happens and it just dies and you don't know why what happened to it something happened to it so it's not going to grow anymore but it was so close to actually being a plant right you could see it and then it's gone it dies it withers it dies nothing happens to it and that's the closest you get without actually producing fruit there are people who didn't let the tiredness and the difficulty and the pain and the frustration wither them away, Priscilla and Aquila, who were kicked out of their home as refugees and had to leave and go who knows where and washed up somewhere in Corinth somehow, and they met Paul. They're faithful Christians, and they meet Paul, and they throw in with him and then follow him to Ephesus, leaving behind the new life they just started to build for themselves. And there's others who we can only guess about, that we don't know anything about. Crispus, Sosthenes, 
tedious justice, people who are all but lost to history. All we have are names. We know barely anything about them, and we know nothing about them if Luke hadn't decided to write their names down. They're, they're enigmas. We hope, we like to think that Crispus soldiered on and stayed faithful to the Lord to the, Lord's the rest of his life. We don't know. We'd like to think that Demas changed, that Timothy saw him one day, sent him a text message, and encouraged him, and Demas stopped turning inward and came back. We have no idea. Sosthenes, no idea. And you and I are just like these ordinary people who all had very, very serious decisions to make on a daily basis of whether we're going to continue to trust in the Lord and soldier on, or whether we're going to say, I'm done, and take an off-ramp and park at a rest stop and never move again. We're just like them because we're normal, we're ordinary, we're enigmas who are going to be lost to human history within two generations, and certainly within three. No one will remember who we are. No one will remember our faith. Even our family members won't remember our faith the way you likely don't remember anything about your great-grandmother. She's a name. She's a face. Maybe you never even saw a photograph. Who knows what kind of person she was? Lost to history. But except for our names scribbled on bits of paper or on a tombstone somewhere, no one will know who we are. No one will know if we soldiered on or not, if you claim to belong to Christ. But God will know. God will know. We hope. Sosthenes, Crispus, Hideous Justice, all of these people, we hope that they soldiered on and persevered in their love for God, despite whatever waited for them down the road, and we'll find out one day. But the question that we need to consider as we think about this passage is to not wonder what happened to Demas, and not wonder, uh, not wonder what happened to Crispus or Sosthenes, but to ask ourselves, if I ask yourself, if I belong to Jesus, am I going to make the decision every day to soldier on like these people did in this passage, like Aquila and Priscilla did, who didn't turn inward when they were kicked out of Rome, like Titius Justice did, who decided to follow the truth instead of playing it safe and staying in the synagogue, like Crispus did, who gave up his entire life, his entire life, to follow the truth. Are we going to be like them, or are we going to turn inward and to Get off the off-ramp and stop at a rest stop and never move again. God's message today, as we look at this cast of characters and this simple narrative, his message today through Priscilla, Aquila, Paul, and all the other folks I mentioned, is that we need to soldier on, and we can. God is with us, he's going to protect us, and he wants us to continue and to soldier on. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, your word tells us, your word says, I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip. Your protector won't fall asleep on the job. No, Israel's protector never sleeps or rests. As we think about these words, we ask that you'd give us comfort and assurance that these words are true and beautiful and good. As we begin another week, as very, very imperfect people serving you, our perfect God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.